gather together as a body of believers uh, to commemorate the, uh, the uh, uh, communion with Christ. And Jesus told us to remember his resurrection on that day. But those promises that we get are the promises that we live, but we were not physically there that day. But even though we were not that there that day, the resurrection power of Jesus that was there on that first Easter is here for us today. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to every person on this planet today. It's not exceptional. Exceptional. The power of the Holy Spirit is what raised Jesus from the dead. And that Holy Spirit wants to live inside of each and every one of us, you included. And so even though you may not have physically been there on Easter, you can physically experience that Holy Spirit power inside of you so that you can live for Jesus. But now that we have heard the story, what do we do with the story after? Now that the tomb is empty, now what? And this is one of the problems of American Christianity, and I've seen this within our church throughout the years, is that people think that salvation is an end. And I've seen it many times. People come up and they'll walk up, they give their lives to Jesus, and then we never see him again. Because they figure like, well, I gave my life to Jesus, but... Now what? Like, I, what do I do with that? And we say, come back and be a disciple, but people don't listen. It's just an end to them. Pe- people will come to this church until they get baptized, and then we never see them again. Because in their mind, they feel, well, I closed the book. I, 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 I checked the box on that one. Living for Jesus is not checking the box. There, the, the end is death. The end is rapture. The end is going to heaven. The end is not, I, I walked forward, I gave my life to Jesus, or I went down in the waters of baptism. That's not what living for Jesus is. So let's get into our first scripture. I know that some of you are saying, well, where's your scripture, pastor? Well, we had to do a little bit of intro. Okay, so roll with me. We're going to be in John 14. That's where we're going to be this morning. We'll be back to 2 Samuel next week. Um, John 14, and we're going to jump off of John 14, 19. It says, and Jesus said this to his disciples, a little while longer and the world will see me no no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Because I live, you will live also. And and, and we're going to get to that in just a second of how do we live. We'll get into that in just a minute. But that's a promise and the promise of the resurrection. Because he lives after death, we will live also. It's one of the greatest promises of the Bible is life everlasting, eternal life. And Jesus promised because of the resurrection, because he lives, we will live also. What a great life to be living in him. And this is what I want to tell you, church. This is what I want to tell you, is that Jesus just doesn't want you to live uh, uh, in that moment of the resurrection. He wants you to live for him right now, all day, every day. He wants you to live for him. And there was a lot of statements that Jesus made in, in John chapter 14. I preached, I preached through John uh, many years ago. Uh, you should go back and listen to these sermons. They're really good. Not this sermon. This is fresh manna. This is not some recycled John sermon, but you can preach from the same book sometimes. But you should go back and listen to John. There, there's, a, there's a lot of promises in John 14 before we get to this promise in, in eternal, of eternal life. 
And these statements that Jesus said is that he promised his disciples uh, mansions in heaven. He said in verse 2, my father's house, there are many mansions. He promised that he was going to prepare a place for us. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. He promised that he would come back in verse 3. I will come again and I will receive myself to you. He promises that we will go with him to heaven. He says, that where I am, there you will also be. He declares that he is the only way to heaven in verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus declared in John chapter 14 verse 7 that he is in fact God. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. He who has seen me has seen the Father. This is, this is the reason why they crucified him is because Jesus said, I am God. I am God the Father. And he proves that he is God the Father because he came back from the dead. He declares to the disciples that they will do greater works than he did. Verse 12, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do. Jesus declares that he will answer prayer. Verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What a, what a statement to be able to say, I can answer your prayers. And there it is. He promises the Holy Spirit in verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And he also promises in verse 18 that he will come to us. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then the greatest promise of them all in verse 19, he says, because I live, you will live also. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, because he experiences life everlasting. He wants to pass that on to us, lowly old us, and says, you know what? Because I live, you will live also. Can you just thank God for that today? Can you say, wherever you're sitting, will you just say, thank you, Jesus, for that? Because that's a promise, isn't it? That we will live because of him. And this living isn't just, and this is what's so hard about Christianity, is that some people believe that, that Christianity is supposed to be a dull existence, and it's just not. Because he lives, we will live also. That's why we can look at circumstances and not worry and we can go through stuff and not be broken by it. It's because he lives, we can live also. We know that we can get through stuff because of him. What a promise. See, he loves us. And the way we love him is by keeping his commandments. In verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is a part that people don't understand about living for God. Is that the freedom to live for him isn't the freedom to live however you want. The freedom to live for him is to, is to live according to his commandments. That's why it can't be living for Christ can't be a one-time event. It can't be a, I rose my hand or I went to church one time or, or I, I went into the water one time or my grandfather was a preacher. None of those things are what living for God looks like. The Bible says, and Jesus declares, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments if you love me. 
And then he says, my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. It's funny, people say, well, how come that person seems to know God so much better than I do? Maybe it's because they're following his commandments and you're not. Maybe it's because they follow what he says. And because when you follow what God says, he manifests himself to you. You will see him and know him in a way that other people don't see and know him because you're actually loving him by following his commandments. We will live in this life in spite of our sins because they've been forgiven, our past mistakes because they've been forgotten, our problems because Jesus is above our problems, whatever it may be. Folks, this is the promise of the resurrection, life, and living in him. When Jesus said, because I live, you will live also, it is a living, it is an active life. It's not just merely like, oh, you're going to breathe as I breathe. No, you're going to live the God life. But how do you live the day after Easter? (laughs) How do you find that, that roadmap? Because Jesus says... Because I live, you will live also. But if you're a a guy like me, and this is why it's so important to read the whole entire Bible, is because the whole Bible is a roadmap. The whole Bible is the means that you have to be able to guide you of where you need to go. Um, But we we don't get that exactly in John 14 of everything that we get uh, from following Jesus. And so we're going to pull some stuff out of other places in the Bible today, because what I want for you to get from this message is this, is I want you to get some very clear things that you can do today so that you can apply them today and tomorrow so you can live in Jesus Christ after Easter. Amen? Amen. So I want to talk just for a few more moments about this guy named Paul. And Paul was one of the most uh, mature Christians in the New Testament. He wrote a bunch of the New Testament. And Paul was a guy who lived an exemplary life for us to look at, model, and follow. He's one of the only people in the Bible that said, follow me as I follow Christ. We can look at the life of Paul. And and, and frankly, if you just did what Paul did, you could live a life that's honoring to God after he got saved. Don't do the part before. But once he got saved, uh, you can live that life and you can see what it's supposed to look like. So we're going to be this morning uh, uh, in Philippians chapter 1. And you can uh, turn there with me uh, so that you can kind of follow along because I'm going to be bouncing around a little bit. Because in Philippians chapter 1, we get some clues into this resurrection life. We get some clues into what it looks like to live for Christ on a daily basis. Because Paul lived his life on a daily basis. If you don't know what Paul did, Paul was a guy who used to crucify Christians. And then he got saved. He, uh, Jesus appeared to him and said, I want you to go and preach to all these people. So Paul went on missionary journeys all around the Mediterranean. He went to Rome. He went to Philippi. He went to Ephesus. He went to Galatia. He went to Colossae. He went to all these different places. And he planted churches. And so once he left those places. He sent these guys letters to tell them how they were supposed to live. Uh, and he spent a lot of time in jail and in prison while he was doing this. And so we, he lives, he leaves us some great clues in Philippians one that can give us, uh, uh, indications of how we can live this resurrection life. Amen. So the first thing I want you to get from today is this, is that if you're going to live for Christ, you have got to trust and submit to God's plan. You've got to trust and submit to God's plan. To be a believer in Jesus Christ after, after the resurrection, we have to put ourselves in a position physically, emotionally, and spiritually to submit to God's plan, even if we don't understand it. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that when you become a Christian, 
God, God then has all of you, not part of you. And because he has all of you and not part of you, you live with a mindset to say, do you know what, God, I've submitted myself to you and I'm going to trust whatever it is that you're doing with my life. Paul said in verse 19, Philippians 1:19, he says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a powerful statement, and the reason why I I, I specifically want to talk about Paul this morning with Easter is that I think context is really important in this message and for us today. Now, Jesus uh, uh, appeared to Paul. Paul has been sent out to go and preach the gospel, but now, at this exact moment that Paul is writing this statement in Philippians chapter 1, do you know what's going on in Paul's life? Paul is under house arrest. Paul is in house arrest from Rome. Now watch this. He was in house arrest, confined to his house for two years. Two years. Acts 28.30 says he was in his house for two years. Now some of you can identify with this. We've only been in our houses for, uh, I don't know, a month We still get to go to the store. You still get to go out in your yard. You still got internet and heat and running water and all those other things. Many people, they're just fighting, not gaining weight while they're under house arrest right now. That seems to be the biggest challenge. But Paul was under house arrest for preaching the gospel. And he doesn't know how much longer he was going to be in this, under this house arrest. And his, his his declaration is this. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. I know that even though I'm locked in my house, this is going to turn to my deliverance. What a statement that Paul can make while he's in prison to say, this is going to turn out for my deliverance. Some of y'all been cooped up for a few weeks with every comfort known to man and you're literally dying. You're sleeping in your bed, eating your food, and people are like, oh my gosh, how much longer can I take being under house arrest? Now listen, I'm not going to get into the political, social ramifications of our economy and all the other stuff. That's a message for a different time. I, I don't like to talk about that kind of stuff until we're out of it, but I, you better rest assured I got thoughts and feelings about it. But right now we're in the middle of it. The other day, I had to use a different coffee creamer. I know. These are dire times, folks. Dire times. We had to change our coffee creamer because we couldn't get the good one. (laughs) But here's a guy who's under house arrest that says, I know this will turn out. I know this will turn out. Let, Let me show you a little bit more about this guy, Paul, so you can know the heart behind him. Second uh, Corinthians chapter eleven. Let me let me read this to you real quick. Second Corinthians chapter eleven, uh, and, and and I just I want you to know the type of life that Paul had to lead uh, before he even got to this point. Um, He's talking about how his, he had to go through suffering in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure in prisons, more frequency, frequently in deaths, often 
From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things which comes upon me daily. Whatever it was that Paul went through, he would say, I know this will turn out. That's why he can say things like that. This is why he can say in in Philippians 4.13, he said, I can get through all things through Christ who gives me strength. He said, I know the, the, the secret of being in want and being in hurt. I know the secret. I know it. God will deliver me from whatever I am going through. I know that he will turn this out for my deliverance. What does it mean to you, friend? Have you put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, I encourage you to do so today, to turn from your sins and turn towards God so that you can experience this abundant life. But you can appropriate that same resurrection power now that Jesus has risen from the grave. But I also would ask you, for some of you that have been going through what we've been going through as a nation, as a world, some of you have been going through this ordeal just fine. I know some people still have their jobs. A lot of people have lost their jobs and it, you know, it always affects you when your, when your bank account changes. Some people are not doing well. I, some people are getting sick. There's been family members that have died. Uh, people in our church have gotten sick. Some family members, uh, outside of our church that are connected to our church have, have died. And for many of you, the, f- the future is uncertain. I know that if you have a job that you either are laid off or you've been told to stay home or you haven't gotten your unemployment check yet, uh, haven't gotten that Trump stimulus money yet, the- these are uncertain times. Truth is, most of us didn't feel this way coming into January. Uh, we didn't see this coming. This is the craziest time that I've ever lived in in my life. My, my kids have asked, what was this like last time you guys went through this? And I'm like, no, we've never gone through anything like this before. Uh, they asked and said, what, what, what else like this have you gone through? Not the last time we went through this. <laughs> Uh, we've never gone through anything like this before. Never a sustained shelter in place order uh, ever in our lives. First um, Thessalonians 5.18 says this, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I challenge you right now. Now I'm not going to miss this moment. I know it's Easter, but I still got to rub, uh, rub the cheese grater a little bit. Are you giving thanks in your circumstances right now? Because that's the resurrection power. If you lost your job, say thank you, Jesus. If you're, if you're low on money, say thank you, Jesus. If you're sick, say thank you, Jesus. If you don't know what's happening in your future, say thank you, Jesus. Because what, what happens when you give thanks? It says, Lord, I don't know what I'm going through right now. I don't understand, but I know that you got me. I know that this will turn out. In the same way that Paul was able to say, and that's that resurrection power. That's that life everlasting where Paul can stand there and say, you know what? I've been beaten and I've been in prison and I've been shipwrecked and now I'm under house arrest, but I know this is going to turn out. I know it. 
And these are those times for us, for some of you, this is the hardest thing you've ever gone through in your life. And praise God, because it's building grit in you. It's, it's giving you calluses and skin. It's going to grow you as a Christian and as a person, as a parent and as a, as a, as a leader. It's just going to change you. But you can say, I know this is going to turn out. Does God not have you right now? You're still watching this. You're still alive. He's taking care of you right now. You're still here. You can declare like Paul, I know this will turn out for my deliverance, whatever it may be. If you're sick, if you're jobless, if you're penniless, if you're locked down, if you're persecuted, we're going to get through this. Think, think of many of you have, have gone through a lot of stuff in your life and you're probably thinking now like uh, forgetting that all the things that God has already brought you through. He brought you through your childhood and he brought you through those other job losses and those other sicknesses. People that have died in your family that you thought, man, I'm never going to be able to get through this. And God saw you through. Jesus said in Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can experience kingdom living today through Jesus Christ. Secondly, to live for Christ, we've got to depend on the body of Christ. I love this in Philippians chapter 1. If you're still there, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul again, he's under house arrest. And he says, I know this is going to turn out. And how does he know it's going to turn out? Verse 19 uh, sorry, I was in chapter two, verse 19. I'm like, no, trust in the Lord Jesus. That's the wrong one. Philippians 1:19. for I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer. Watch this. And the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ through your prayer. See, Paul was writing the, the book of Philippians to the Philippian church. It wasn't a book that he wrote to an individual. It was a book that he was writing. It was a letter that he was writing to a church. He's under house arrest and he says, I know God's going to turn this thing out. And the the way I know he's going to turn out is because my church family is praying for me. I know that the body of Christ is praying for me. And because the body of Christ is praying for me, I know that I can get through this because it's through your prayers and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ that I know I'm going to get through this. Now, this is an interesting part of the focus of Paul is that he's under house arrest and he's unsure of what the future holds. And at this moment, he leans into the body of Christ as his strength. He's saying, I can get through this if you pray for me, church. He was writing to the church in Philippi. Paul knew and loved and depended on the body of Christ to sustain him in his dire times. Now, you're going to hear me say this repeatedly while we're online. And, and if you're watching me on a, a, on a normal basis, uh, get used to the repetition. But I want to gather those people that aren't. But I also want to get it down into your spirit. This is not how God intended church to be yeah. at all. Right. Separated. It's not. This is not church. This is not collective worshiping. This is not us collectively coming together. This is not collectively uh, holding up the burdens of one another. And, and, and some of you say, well, you know, we're doing it through online and, and text and phone. Yeah, we are somewhat, but it's not God's design. What Paul understood was that no man is an island. Jesus spoke directly to Paul. He was God's chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, but he still needed others. Oh, interesting. Jesus appeared to Paul, but he still needed others. It was Paul who said in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, for as the body is one and has many members, 
But all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. And people will say, oh, well, you know, we're all the body of Christ. And that's true somewhat. But the body is always organized in a local assembly. You can't be disconnected floating around all by yourself and say, well, I'm part of the body of Christ. There, there's, and I don't have time to get into that scripture and all the, there's teachings I've done on it. The point is, is that the body of Christ is a called out, collected, publicly meeting body of believers on a weekly basis. Yeah. Ephesians 4.16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what each joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth for the body of the edifying of itself in love. God designed us for community with one another. Online church is not what God had planned. Remember, the early church was a bunch of illiterate agrarian peasants. They were illiterate. They could not read. They could not write. They were peasants. They were people that worked with their hands out in the fields. They depended on each other. This online thing did not exist during that time. They couldn't send each other scriptures on their cell phones. And, you know, they couldn't preach and sit at home. They, they couldn't read their Bible themselves. They had to collectively gather because that was the only way that they could actually minister to one another and hear each other's needs and pray for one another. I hope during this time you've seen the struggle of being alone. If communication means didn't exist and you couldn't read and if you didn't have a Bible, how could you have community at home alone? How could you do that? If you couldn't read and you didn't have electricity and you didn't have a phone, how would you find community? You couldn't have it. And don't say, well, I have church with my family. That's not what God designed. God did not design to have church just with your family. I've been having church with my family all week and it ain't enough. It just ain't enough. I got to be with my church people. Even Paul knew this when he was alone, even with resurrection power, he needed others. What does it mean to you? We were never intended to live a life on our own, but through and in the church. You were never meant to depend on yourself. To live in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's not just only that we receive Jesus' power, but we believe, we, believe, we believe that we get the collective power of the body of believers as we gather together because we need other people. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I plead with you, I beg with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. That is, Paul wouldn't have to plead that to a church that was scattered by themselves. It's because when you get a group of nut nutcases together, we all have issues and problems. And so Paul had to write those things to the church and said, you know what? In spite of the problems, in spite of, uh, of all the issues that you guys have, this is still God's design that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul pleaded that the church would be unified, joined together, unified in Christ. Have you been guilty of trying to do life on your own? And let me say this right now, uh, and this will be convicting for some of y'all. I don't care that you're introverted. I don't care. Introverted is not a Bible word and neither is extroverted. None of those Bible words existed. There, there's no special consideration for people that don't like people. There's no special consideration for people that say, oh, well, you know, I, I feel really uncomfortable in crowds. So do we, man. But God says, you know what? Come together anyway. 
Be together. That's what I designed for you. I I believe that there's probably even some of the introverts that are missing the community of believers during this time. Also, to live for Christ, exalt Christ in everything that we do. Verse uh, Philippians 1.20, Paul says, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. See, Paul, to live in that resurrection power and to live in that life, is he loved, he loved living for Jesus, but he didn't love life so much that he wasn't willing to give his life for what Jesus required of him. And it's, it's very easy to become very uh, right now focused in our, in our lives. It just is. It's very easy to think about, you know, your, your house or your rent or your car, your bills, uh, your vacations. What are you doing for your money for the future? What are you doing for your life and your plans? Because that's what humans do. But Paul realized, and he said, you know what? If I give everything that I have to Jesus, my whole entire life, then I know that whether I'm living for Jesus right now or whether I die and go to heaven, I win. I'm just going to live with an expectation of I can live for Jesus now. I can live in that resurrection power. But if I end up dying, then I end up dying. And it's, it's part of this part about the whole entire uh, situation that we're in. And I'm not saying, again, go out and try to lick doorknobs. But, but for us as Christians, even dying is a win. Even for us to die is a win. And again, I'm not trying to tempt death and go find ways to die. But we don't have to fear death if we're living totally and completely for Jesus. Paul wanted to exalt Christ in everything he did. He didn't want to live for himself. And so I want to encourage you today uh, to always live now, life or death, exalt Christ in everything that you do. Now, my ministry, I believe, is very, very simple. If you listen to most of my messages, I say the same thing about every single time. I twist all the scriptures to make it say the same thing. Fully submit to Christ in every area of your life. That's the message of the cross. It's the message of the Bible. It's from Genesis to Revelation. Christ wants all of you. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. He wants your physical body. He wants your emotions and desires. He wants your mental. He wants your uh, financial. He wants your activities. He wants your job. He wants where you live. He wants your relationships. Uh, He wants what you do with your fun money. He wants what you eat. He wants everything about you to be fully consumed with him. There's nothing that you have that he doesn't want to own. There's nothing that you do that he doesn't want to control. He wants every last part of you. And so when Jesus says, because I live, now you can live, you can only live in him. It's not a life unto yourself. The Christian life is, is a life of freedom, but it's a life of freedom from sin. It's not a life that frees you to go and sin. It's not a life that frees you to go and live however you want. It's to live fully and submitted to Jesus Christ in every area of your life. There is not one area of your life that isn't under the rule of God. Not one. And, and I, and I know many of you, uh, know that I was in the army. I use army experiences in my messages all the time. Uh, Brack Hildreth is probably watching it right now in his house saying, you're in the army. Yeah, Brack, I was in the army. (laughs) Loves making fun of me. 
The reason why I love the army experience is because there's not very many experiences that you have on this side of heaven where something owns you and controls you. And when you're in the military, I, I guess prisons probably like the military too. I've talked to prisoners. Uh, uh, it's somewhat the same. But when you're in prison or you're in the army, it's the same. They own you 24-7, 365. They tell you what to wear, how to talk, what to do. And, and, and even when you think you're not under their power, you're under their power. When I was in the military, it didn't matter when you were at home and you were off duty, they could call you and say, come in, you got to start working because your time doesn't belong to you until you get discharged from the military. I love 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Colossians 3:23 says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Friends, we live in him when we live for him. Whatever you do, you can live for him and through him. And that's, and that's my challenge to you today. That's the story of Easter today. Jesus died, was buried, resurrected with that resurrection power. He promised his disciples. He said, because I live, you will live also. And so when you live, live knowing that God has a better plan that you would ever have. And that whatever you're going through, you know that God will deliver you from whatever it is that you know that you can uh, be delivered from that. Live knowing that God created you to be part of a body of believers, that God didn't intend you to live life to yourself. Uh, life to yourself is lonely. Life as an individual is not what God wanted for you. He wanted you to be in a body of believers. And also, uh, lastly, live your life wholly and completely for him in every area of your life. And if there's an area of your life right now that isn't under the rule of Jesus, submit to him right now. Say, God, I submit to this area of my life. I know this area area of my thought life or this action or this area of my finances or whatever has not been under your rule, but God, today I'm going to bring it under your subjection. And if you're watching this message online and you are not a Christian, you are not a follower of Jesus Christ right now, I want you to get down on your knees, wherever you're at, if you're in your living room or whatever, get down on your knees and and cry out to God and say, God, forgive me of my sins. I want to live for you a hundred percent. I'm not going to do those things anymore. Forgive me of my sins and allow me to live for you. The Bible says if you would do that, you will be a Christian and that you could live for him. We encourage you to be a part of our online church until we're able to gather again. Send us a message. Let us know that you got saved today. Let us know that you gave your heart to Jesus today. Would you join me in a closing prayer? Father, we thank you for this message. God, we thank you that you revealed truth to us today. God, we pray that this resurrection power, Father, this life in you would be something that we would constantly live the day after not just today, Lord, but the day after that we would live it every single day. God, we're thankful for the resurrection. We're thankful for life everlasting. Father, we pray that this would be a a day that our lives are changed to live for you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much for watching today. Um, uh, remember to like, subscribe, share all that other stuff. I think we do have some bread. So uh, if you want to come down and get some bread, we'll be here until noon, only until noon. If you're not here by noon, we're not going to be here. So please come down just to say hi, get a loaf of bread. We got free bread. We love you guys. Happy Easter. Have a good Sunday. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.